Hello, I'm Sarah Vine and this is Sarah Vine's Female Half Hour from Mail Plus. I am joined this week and every week by my friend and co-host Imogen Edwards-Jones, who is back from Ibiza, finally. Yes, I am. I know. looking very tanned, dear listener. I look like a freeze-dried fruit, I think. (laughs) Did you get stuck at the airport? I did, for two hours. I've actually given up the idea of going away. I wouldn't bother. I can't. I just can't face it. No. If I go and see my parents in Italy, I have to to quarantine for five days in their house. Oh, God. I'm like... (laughs) Which I think would probably result in someone dying. It's worse than Christmas. No, I know. It would be horrendous. (laughs) So I've decided to just give up. I'm not going to go away. No, I'm not even going to try. I just drink pina colada on your sofa. (laughs) I could be like that episode of Miranda where she goes on holiday to the hotel. Do you remember? Oh, that was a brilliant episode. brilliant episode. (laughs) (laughs) Where she pretends that she's gone to Thailand and she's actually in the local hotel and she just puts a poster up beside herself and then orders room service. (laughs) I think maybe I'll do that. That's much more relaxing. (laughs) Anyway, coming up on today's show, we have... uh, Oh, well, moment of sadness. Charlie Watts, drummer of the Rolling Stones, has passed away. I actually did cry about this yesterday, Imogen. I I, to I'm, say, well, I did think of you because I've, you know, yeah. I've spent many an evening with you listening to the Rolling Stones and watching you do your dancing. I did a bit of listening to the Rolling Stones on Spotify and then did a bit of crying as I oh. walked, walked up to see my friend. Anyway, we're going to speak to our music critic about his legacy. And Extinction Rebellion are back and causing more chaos than ever. But can eco warrior Jeff? change Vine's mind. Probably, I'd say no. (laughs) Well, let's give it a go. Good luck, Jeff. Topless sunbathing is losing its popularity, even on the continent. Author Rebecca Reed will explain why. Uh, And also, our kids are going back to school. Praise be. Yes, hallelujah. Uh, Our resident astrologer, Teresa Chung, is going to tell us what the stars have in store. But first... Is the tiger who came to tea sexist? Apparently it is, Imogen. There's a group called Zero Tolerance. They're a feminist organisation based in Scotland. Mm. And according to them, Judith Kerr's The Tiger Who Came to Tea could lead to domestic abuse, rape and sexual harassment. And I don't really understand why. It's a bit much, Can you isn't understand it? why? I don't know. Apparently it's because the tiger's male. Right. And because there's also because there's a man at the end of it, the dad, who takes them all out for... For a terrible supper. I don't remember the tiger having a pair no, myself. No. I don't remember him being particularly male either. No. And also the idea that he, he was could... a tiger. Yeah. I mean, I mean, the thing is, it's not a book about a real thing. No. It's a book about a tiger. I mean, if a tiger actually came to your house, he'd just eat all your children. <laughs> yes. So, I mean, if he we're talking be real... in a no, exactly. So if we're talking sort of realism here, I mean, a tiger that came to tea is not really. I mean, it's a children's book. I mean, it's but, like. But it's a metaphor, surely, for being kind yeah. and nice to people. rude people. Yes. Because the tiger's very rude, isn't he? Yeah, he's very rude. And then does he? Then he threatens to come back again. <laughs> Which I, I thought was a little bit much, frankly, seeing as he's drunk all the water. It's a bit like that other children's book. That all those, all those ones. Uh, what do they call it? Eat um, green eggs and ham, mm. um, and thing one and thing two. That oh, well, those out. are very funny. W- w- but but I think they're also considered to be a bit sort of controversial because. I don't know. There's, 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 well, children's books are supposed to be anarchic and interesting, yeah. and and you know, and it's the idea of expanding your mind. And yeah. I mean, in this in this thing that you were just talking about, they said only fourteen percent, three out of twenty-one books, pass the gender or diversity audit. Oh my goodness! The, the very existence of a gender or, or, or diversity audit is just such a depressing thought. I mean, you're a writer. I'm a writer. Yeah. I mean, writing is creative. It's not about making people happy. It's about saying things that are interesting or or, or indeed provoking people. Yes, or just making nice sounds. Yeah, making actually. them think, you yeah. know. And if your child if your little children 
you know, I think the idea of a tiger coming to tea is quite fun. I don't think a child would even care whether the tiger was male or female. No, or, or even Daddy took them out to a rubbish restaurant yeah. afterwards. And also, it was written, I think, in 1968. Yes. So it's very much of its time, and yes. that's fine. I mean, there'd be very few fairy tales that would ever pass muster. Of course. I mean, you know, well, I mean, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, yes. that's already, surely, <laughs> surely, that's It's basically a porn t- film, that, isn't it, let's be honest. <laughs> and and Cinderella, with uh, there was a thing about the kiss being, not Cinderella, it was the Sleeping Beauty about the kiss being a sort of oh. metaphor for rape. He didn't ask her permission yes. in order to kiss her, but yes. sadly she was actually asleep. Exactly. So the idea you can't kiss somebody who's no. asleep. And I mean, it's. I think it's just very difficult for children to make any sense of the modern world if they're going to be told i mean my son is 16 and i don't think he understands how to interact with girls at all because he doesn't know whether he's coming or going he doesn't know whether he's also literal it's just so literal there's no creative understanding of of anything the idea that you know just because the man comes home and takes them out to supper Mm. basically he's just you know sweeping up and making sure they've got something to eat because the tiger's eaten the lot exactly yeah that's all it's not a microaggression (laughs) no that's the thing everything now is supposed to be micro and it's and it's as though all the most boring unimaginative literal people Mm. are taking over the world and just destroying all the beauty and all the art and all the lovely music and stuff that used to be there before I don't know. It really depresses me. I know. Well, I mean, just even basic stories like Ferdinand, you know, the Ferdinand, the bull who sniffs the flowers. One of my oh, favourites. Yes. yes. I mean, I presume that's going to be wiped yep. off the uh, yep. the arena. I mean. What are the other ones? I mean, there's the very hungry caterpillar. Yes. I'm sure that's rude in some I'm way. I'm sure that's passive aggressive. The gruffalo is probably bad because it's. Yeah. Well, no, the caterpillar is probably a metaphor for greed. Mm. So therefore it's fat shaming. Mm. That's right. That would be fat shaming. (laughs) It would be a fat shaming thing. And essentially evil. I mean, but the thing is, you know, this organisation, Zero Tolerance, is partly taxpayer funded. What? I mean, haven't they got better things to do? Yes. Aren't they supposed to be looking after women who have been abused or something? I mean, that's fine. That's a good thing to be doing. But why are you spending all this time doing all this stupid you know, gender critical theory. It's no, no one's interested but in it's also, stuff. But, it's, but it also, it's, it's also belittles the good stuff that yeah, they do. of course. So, you know, because they've chosen to focus in on something as, as ridiculous mm. as The Tiger Who Came to Tea, mm. which I think was voted the nation's favourite yeah. char- children's book last mm. year, mm. Uh, the idea that because you focused on that, the other good stuff that mm. you've done suddenly gets thrown under the bus. Do you think they're just doing it to get some attention? Probably. Hmm. Should we stop that yeah. now? So stop giving them attention. <laughs> Go away. Yes, go away, you silly people. (laughs) We all heard the sad news this week that the world has lost one of the greatest drummers of all time, Charlie Watts, the Rolling Stones. Joining me now is the Daily Mail music critic, Adrian Thrills. Adrian, I have to say, I actually started crying yesterday when I heard the news, which is very unlike me. There was something really special about Charlie Watts, wasn't there? Yeah, I mean, as as you say, he was one of rock's greatest drummers, and... uh, the death of a stone it's it's quite mm. epochal isn't it it's just, you know it kind of yeah. really does think dodge you know it's it's almost like a little bit of the 60s a little bit of our youths died with 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 charlie and he was he was an incredible character i mean none of the flamboyance of of keith richards and mick but he mm. was he was the glue that held the whole thing together i mean he mm. was one of rock's greatest drummers but his personality mm. he was just such a subtle influence he but was, i always thought he was always the grown-up in the band mm. you know you oh, felt yeah, safe if charlie was there because everybody else was being such a prat and charlie <laughs> would sort of turn up and he was well dressed nicely turned out he made an effort you know he had a lot of respect for the audience as, as well i think 
I don't know. Maybe he, he either had the biggest ego in the world or he had no ego. I can't quite, quite tell which. Well, you can certainly say he never had an off night, whereas uh, the Stones, I mean, the whole thing about the Stones is they, they're quite a ramshackle bunch, not just kind of in mm. terms of their personalities, but even just musically. They mm. Sometimes you listen to some of those songs and mm. they seem almost on the point of falling apart. And yeah. he was always the guy that kept it just just the right side of uh, descending into complete yeah. musical chaos. And uh, and he, he was the grown-up. He was actually a couple of years older than them. Mm. And obviously, as, as they went on through their career, that age difference um, didn't kind of matter so much. But when they were kind of starting out, when you're mm. in your late teens and early 20s, two years is quite a lot. So he must have seemed like a bit of an older brother to, mm. uh, to the young kind of ragamuffins when they first started playing. Yes, no, and and the, and the other thing is what you said earlier. You know, the death of a stone. I mean, I just did think they would never. Go, I just thought they would go on forever. I mean, they're like the queen in my head. Yeah. You do. They're just a, they're a constant, aren't they? Yeah. And and I mean, who knows what will happen? I mean, if they do, I mean, they're due to start a tour next mm. month in the Are states they? or continue the, really. the, the the no filter tour. And Charlie had already said because he had the operation that few weeks ago he, he wasn't going to be playing on that tour and they had a, they have an understudy but um you know you can't really replace charlie no. he is, i do uh, think that if they're going to stop now is probably a good time yes but the problem is they probably sold all their tickets though haven't yeah. they so i imagine they've probably got uh you know stadiums to fill and uh yes but they could do they could do it with a session drummer and then that then that's it, it. Yeah. yeah you do you do sense that the uh you know the sun is slowly going down mm. on on that era, and uh, it just as you said yesterday, it was just shocking news. You do, and even though you know an eighteen-year-old guy, anyway, it shouldn't be so shocking. Mm. But it uh, it really did kind of it. You know, when things like this happen, it, mm. it does. Anyone who loves great music, it does kind of rock you to the core a bit. Yeah. No, I know. Anyway, well, thank you very much, Adrian. That was very interesting. And um, yes, we'll, we'll we'll see what happens with them. But I think they I think it's time for them to, mm, to bow out gracefully. To bow out gracefully. Mm. That was Adrian Thrills, the Daily Mail's music critic. I'm not going to make a joke about his name. The climate change activist group Extinction Rebellion is on its third day of a two-week protest against climate change, causing massive traffic jams and occupying police time as usual. But is their method to their madness. I personally think not. Mm. Um, but that's because I think that we all know about climate change and I think that there are lots of countries that don't seem to know about climate change like China and India and America and I think they should take their process there rather than bothering us um, with their interpretive dance. But it's anyway, mainly the dance that you don't <laughs> it's like. It's mainly it? the interpretive it's dance in the, the dance, mind. I, know. I, don't, I, <laughs> I think if they stopped doing the interpretive dance in the mime, I might be slightly more sympathetic to the, the meme. The, the meme. meme. Is it meme? Not no, mime. It's, no, it's mime. <laughs> it's, it's mime, isn't it? I don't know. Anyway, it's, it's the theatricals I can't yeah. Anyway, but I understand that, that is not a necessarily common view. But so here to try and change Ryan's mind is environmental campaigner Jeff Gazard. Jeff, change my mind. Yep. Okay, I've done my own bit of interpretive dancing, but not for probably about 40 years. Um, right, here's the issue. Let's go straight to the point that you made, which is a fair point. Why should effectively we do anything when China, India, Russia and Brazil purport to be doing stuff, but it's questionable? Mm. And the answer is, how do we combat that? And we combat that seeming inability to take climate change seriously 
by having the negotiations like we've got coming up at COP26, mm -hmm. by stressing the science. China in the last couple of years has introduced its first domestic emissions trading scheme. Mm -hmm. The issue is not the science. The issue is not whether climate change is real or not. The issue is what do we do about it? Who's going to do it and when? And I think that's the underlying issue behind what you've said, which is one of fairness and equity. Why should we take all the burden or appear to be taking all the burden when other people are getting away scot-free? But the thing that I have, the problem, the problem I have is Extinction Rebellion. I'll tell you right. my problems. I think that their behaviour is counterproductive. I think that climate change is a really important issue and I think most people in this country are pretty on board with it and do their best. Mm. But I think that what, that what what these people are doing is they're actually making the issue annoying. Do you, do you think it's anarchy for anarchy's sake? Uh, yeah. Mm. Uh, well, I, I don't. Also, I mean... there's, a degree of there's a degree of hypocrisy because the leader of Extinction Rebellion turns out drives a diesel car. Mm. And, you know, I understand that people have lives and it's difficult and complicated but if you're going to make everybody else's life a misery you have to be unimpeachable i'm sorry it's not okay oh, to drive oh, a diesel on, car two. let's not let's you know you're sounding as miserable as you're accusing Simpson rebellion of being. <laughs> it's and, just and the dance that's really getting her uh, i can, annoyed, I, can I, think. I don't think i don't think it's the, i don't think it's the dance it's the sub isle of white 1970 pop festival clothing yes, that you're really jealous jeff about. you've just absolutely nailed it <laughs> i know i know i mean i had i known i'd have dug my afghan coat and my crush velvet it's always people dressed out. as shamans and mm. playing the bongos it's very irritating well be irritated that's my that's my honest advice please be irritated because but it's making me not want to take my own plastic bag to the supermarket well, it's, well, it's well, having a terrible effect on me it's having the opposite effect that right, the rise, rise above yourself, oh, yes. please. Let, let's just look at what they're actually trying to achieve. Exhale. In the run-up to, run to COP26, they are stressing the absolute urgency of making real progress in all of the nations who participate in that, 178 or is it 187, who knows, mm. um, to take urgent action. And that's why this protest is, in my view, vital. That's why, if it is inconvenience, I don't care. That's yes, why. But you're in Macclesfield. <laughs> well, doesn't matter don't what forget. happens to you, and because you're in Macclesfield, and we're in London. Well, don't forget, I've spent forty years of my life talking about climate change and aviation in particular, and then in the last couple of decades, uh, talking on all sorts of media outlets about everything from kind of solar panel power and electric kettle to the discussion we're having today and i believe passionately and fervently in both the science and the economics of why we should take climate change seriously jeff, and if jeff you don't can I, i'm me, jeff 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 i have yeah. to stop you there because we are running out of time i want to say two things one i love you because mm. you're obviously brilliant at <laughs> what you do and and very passionate and i I'm genuinely worried about climate change, as is Imogen. So I'm I'm with you on that. But you're not changing my mind about extinction rebellion. I'm oh, so sorry. sorry. You know, I knew that was going to no, happen. But I'm, I'm sorry. I think we need Jeff Thanks on the lot. pink table. I think. Uh, yeah, I no. think maybe <laughs> if you were on the pink table, that would just been so much easier. That, that 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 you know that's enough, you two. Thanks for the praise, but this is going severely off track, and I'm going to go home and search for my wardrobe for some appropriate clothing. Thank you. That thank you very much, Jeff. That was Jeff Gazard, environmental campaigner, and we thought rather lovely, but mm. he didn't change our mind. We still think Extinction Rebellion are twats, basically, don't we? Yeah, but I'm but I'm with Jeff though on many levels. Are you? Yes, yeah, I like. Did Sarah's you fancy wardrobe. Jeff? I did. Visually. You fancy Jeff? Did you? <laughs> yeah. You're just terrible, Imogen. <laughs> anyway, he did not change my mind, even if Imogen fancies him. <laughs> 
You are listening to the Female Half Hour with me, Sarah Vine, and Imogen Edwards-Jones. You can visit maleplus.co.uk slash subscribe to get access to all our podcasts, videos, opinion pieces, and more. And if you want to get in touch, tweet us at maleplus or me at WestminsterWag. This year marks the 30th anniversary of Prime Suspects, the crime drum which put a female police officer in charge for the first time. Author Linda LaPlante last week published Unholy Murder, a new book in the Tennyson series, tracing her life before she becomes DI. She joined me via Zoom earlier this week. I've been reading your book. It's great. Oh, um, thank you. I'm really enjoying it, particularly enjoying it since it seems to, seems to be set in Bickley, which is where I spent quite a lot of my childhood because my grandmother lived in Bickley. Um, yeah. So I was quite, quite a surprise. <laughs> well, I <laughs> have to move about. It's set in the 80s. Yes, because it's, you know, the growth of Jane Tennyson to become eventually the character that was portrayed by Dame Helen Mirren. So I'm taking her through inch by inch through her life to say, how did you get to be that calm exterior? So yes. it's wonderful to enjoy seeing her be a bit naughty <laughs> occasionally. Yes, because it's 30 years since the first series of no. D.I. Tennyson, isn't it? So it's going to be, so Prime Suspect started in 91. And I, I know, know it's amazing to think that. But this is her before she becomes that sort of incredible Helen Mirren, steely eyed woman. Mm. And, and I do think what, what I always loved about your stuff was that you flipped everything and you made the women the protagonist before anybody else did so the the original series of widows yeah. where they were the wives of the bank robbers yeah I mean, just that sort of perspective you were the first one really to go in and just see it let us see it from the women's point of view and I just think that's really quite a big thing also you know with Prime Suspect um, because I had become so close to the real DCI and had so much help from the Met Police, um, you know, mm. I wouldn't have taken dramatic license. They were there behind me, or particularly the DCI involved. And then you get to, you know, the hierarchy mm. that are doing the show. And episode one, episode two, episode three. And then they suddenly come and they say, oh, look, uh, we want to make more of our private life. We want to do And I said, no, no, keep her at point in her career because she's going to go up I mm. saw her as the first commander the first female commander mm. and eventually I said look I can't write to order and so I left I'm not saying that any of the writers that took over weren't exceptionally good and very professional but I would never ever have made that woman that was iconic figure and such a beloved one and also fated by the Met who used that prime suspect as a kind of, you know, calling card really, encouraging women to join up. And then, you know, they want to make her an alcoholic. And I just, I just thought it wasn't what I wanted. And so that's when I walked. It's funny, isn't it? It's that thing that a woman can't just be ambitious without having something wrong with her that's yeah. the thing I always just you know if yeah. you're an ambitious woman that means that somehow you're malfunctioning yeah but and with a man it doesn't mean that no it means that you're so ambitious you're going to go to the top but for a woman you have to cut mm. her down uh, and I always find that really, yeah, exactly. really makes me angry 
um, because she would have broken through that glass ceiling much quicker than eventually. We do have, you know, a ranking, mm. high rank of female now at the top of the Met. Yeah, we do. But this is, I mean, I found it really, really gripping and I found the characterizations brilliant. And of course you do write, you know, you write in a very visual way. It's like watching, it's like watching TV for me, you know, it's just so vivid and it's just so much dialogue and it's so, it's so sort of pacey. Um, but I love all the, I love all the sort of um, old fashioned characters, like the sort of, you know, the old fashioned grumpy pathologist and, and all these sort of sort of sexist men who are sort of hanging around the place smoking cigarettes in the way that they yeah. did back but it's interesting so so this is a prequel to really the di tennyson that we saw on television so this yeah. is her before she becomes yes and and i've got to run another five books before she'll make it to dci and and that, and that in a way in many times you know i'm watching right crime on tv and you go you couldn't get that rank at your age you have to have more experience. And so I've always, as I said before, you know, the Met have been so helpful to me. Not just the Met, all the forensic teams, the scientists. Um, they are really, and nothing goes out for me without their fingerprints mm. are all over it. And if they say things like, you know, your toxicology report is coming in too early, I will delay it. And it means that mm. you have to find something that will drive the plot as they wait to find out the toxicology. Have you, ever been, have you ever been tempted to give up writing and just become a pathologist? I couldn't do it. It's not just, you know, when you see them remove the green cloth, they have to dig around and remove all the heart, the lungs. It's, it's that part of it is the very first post-mortem I went to, I lied. You know, I'd been in access and they and the police said to me, Have you have you been to a post-mortem, Linda? I said, Oh yes, yes. You know, I thought, well I've seen a bit on TV, I'll be all right. And so they got me all suited up with white Wellington boots. And because I'm short, as it progressed and in came the pathologist, he said, uh, what is she doing here? And, uh, and they said, oh she's a writer. He said, well, you better bring it to the front if she wants to have a good look. So I'm there very close to the table as the cloth is removed. And it was an enormously overweight man. Oh. And I'm starting to get a little bit nervous. And then came the incision. Now, nobody ever warned me that when they make that incision, you can hear noises like a terrible fart erupting for a very long time and often the cadaver will move and I'm standing there I'm now held up by my Wellington boots before I think uh, uh, boom I collapsed I absolutely went out cold and they all thought this was highly amusing highly amusing as they <laughs> carted me off and it continued but I'll never ever forget what it was like those sounds. Anyway, yeah. on that note, I'm going to say goodbye. Thank you so much. Oh, no. I'd love to talk to you. Yes, I'd love to. That was Queen of Crime Drama, Linda Laplante. Topless sunbathing is losing its popularity among the young, who are apparently hyper-aware of their bodies ending up on social media. I thought that was the whole point of social it's media. Shy, yeah. only confusing. But anyway, what's behind it is apparently Instagram, or the unrealistic expectations of pornography. And so we are joined by Rebecca Reed, who is author of the brilliantly named book, The Power of Rude. 
So this whole topless thing, I mean, Imogen and I are... I'm veteran. I'm a, I'm a veteran. veteran topless person. Yeah. But then I'm from a different generation. I don't think I owned a bikini top for about 25 years. So racy. <laughs> My <True>. mother <laughs> used to go topless all the time and it used to be so... It was so, so embarrassing. It's so mortifying for me that I always used to just wear a full burqa, basically. Well, it was terribly chic, wasn't it? It Sort of, you would never have dreamt of doing it on the beach at Brighton, but somehow when you were on holiday, it was this moment. Well, Rebecca, can I just say? Can I say I did once do it on the beach at Brighton (laughs) (laughs) because I used to live in Brighton. Then one day I went to the beach and I lay there topless, and an old lady came up to me and called me a Jezebel. No, and said. (laughs) Put those triangles back but on. Yes, she said, you whore, she said. And I was really mortified. How old were you? How old were you? I think I was about 18. 18. You must have had a lovely pair. I did, superb. That's probably why she was so angry. Yes, probably. Probably me, me from another life. But it was very Jane Birkin, wasn't it? That sort of look, wasn't it? That very thin, uh, no boobs, French uh, look, wasn't it? In the sort of 70s and 80s. But I think whatever you look like, whether I mean, obviously, we'd all like to look like Jane Birkin, mm. but whatever you look like, there's something really lovely about being able to go topless. Mm. And, you know, breasts don't have to be inherently sexual. We all know they're primarily supposed to be for feeding babies, yeah. if that's how you choose to feed. No judgment here. Um, but <laughs> so I think there was something really nice about that we managed to reach a stage where women felt it was fine to be topless and it didn't, sort of wasn't sexual and it wasn't all about look at me. It was just like mm. getting an even turn. Yeah. And it's a real shame that, you know, the sense that some you're constantly being photographed yeah. has meant that people are less likely to do it it's it's weird because it was a liberation and now and now it sort of feels like the whole thing's gone the other way but the weird thing is is also is that young women do put lots of pictures of themselves on instagram it's all their bottoms which are it's all their bottoms isn't Isn't it it? it's all about the bum but they do put quite a lot of sexual images on themselves so it sort of seems but i think there's a massive massive difference when you've taken a photo and you Mm. know the position and you've edited it and you know we've all but i don't do it anymore when i was younger i was terribly guilty of editing things they Mm. look nothing like me (laughs) um you've you've had full control over that image and i think what teenage girls experience now is what sort of celebrities used to have 15 years ago you know you you manage your image Mm. um and i think what must be very frightening is if you only post pictures yourself looking a certain way having put it through Mm. facetune when somebody else takes a candid photograph of you that must genuinely be quite upsetting yeah, mm. yeah. What is the power of rude about, Rebecca? I haven't read it, which is rude of me, obviously. <laughs> Sorry. It is. <laughs> I forgive you. Uh, it's um, about how women have to kind of divest themselves of the phobia of being regarded as rude. And right. It's got lots of stories about oh. the things that we've done. Oh, well, Imogen so, and I have divested ourselves of that phobia <laughs> yes. a long time wow. ago. Sounds so right scary. up my street. <laughs> This is the the more apparently po- post having children, the more grown up you get, the less obsessive you are about not offending people. How old are you, Rebecca? I've just been 30. Well Whoa. done. I'll tell you, can I tell you exactly what it is about being old and rude? I'll tell you why old ladies are rude, <laughs> like me and Imogen. Please do. It's because we don't have any of the nice hormones anymore because we've had the menopause. Mm. Yeah, so, so, so you're the, more like a man, technically. Well, chemically. But basically, chemically, we're just like, well, I don't know we're, if we're like men, but we're, we're, so all the nice sort of Nurturing. Fl- fluffy things like oestrogen and progesterone that make you want to not abandon your incredibly annoying squealing child in the ditch and go and have a cocktail. <laughs> <laughs> which is basically what all those hormones are for, have gone. And so now it's like the scales fall from your eyes and you realise that everyone is a twat. Yeah, and you happily step over <laughs> the screaming child on the way to the cocktail. On the way to the cocktail. Um, exactly. I mean, I can't wait, honestly. That sounds bloody Yeah, I mean, I have to say, to the menopause for me has been a liberation in that respect because I don't feel the need to be nice to anyone. <laughs> you were so charming before. 
<laughs> not. Okay. Thank you, Rebecca. Um, and please Thank do read Rebecca's book, me. The Power of Rude. Lovely to talk to you, Rebecca. Thank you so much. So Imogen and I both have children going into sixth form. I've got one child who's not going back to school, which is <gasps> terrifying. Yeah. So we're both hoping that this school year isn't going to be like the last one. Uh, and in order to find out what's going to happen, we're going to talk to our resident astrologer, Teresa Chung. Teresa, hi. Yay! Hello! Virgo, back to school season, of yes. course. Um, you, know, it's the per- you know, it's just how astrology mirrors our, our year. You know, mm. you couldn't get a better month to start school. How unconsciously we do that, you know, September, Virgo is all about efficiency, you know, perfectionism. Clean socks. Improving yourself. <laughs> new pencil you know, case. <laughs> new pencil. Oh, I, yeah. I love that. And sewing on those labels. But on the, on the sort of macro scale, do you think that they're going to be able yeah. to go back to school? What's your... What are for your... the time being, yes, it looks, it looks fairly good for the time being. There's a bit of a worry around September the 14th when Jupiter goes retrograde again and health issues might come into it. November the 21st, I'm looking at. I mean, I'm not, I mean, I'm, we're going to have to live with this COVID. Mm. We all know that now. Um, it's going to go in waves. But if we can get through November and December, I think 2020, from April onwards, looking at the stars and the planets looks really good. However, it does worry me that there's a, quite a similarity between the stars and planets now as it was to World War Two. What? And that took six <laughs> years. <laughs> well, you know, starting 20, but we haven't got the war. You know what I mean? It's kind of, sort of the impact on all our lives because you know astrology just repeats mm. cycles yeah. and patterns and you just look at repeating patterns over time yeah um so that that's a bit of a worry that but you know there's positive from that and that we all shift and change our lives and learn and grow from it so yes and that's especially the theme with virgo right now it's all about building your best life being humble yes detoxing yes going for perfection but the tendency with Virgo for the next four weeks, everyone, because we're all influenced by the sign we're in, even if we're not Virgo, we're all influenced yeah. by the vibe of that planet, mm. is that sometimes good enough is good enough and mm-hmm. not to try too much to push yourself to perfection because mm-hmm. that can be quite deadening. And, and time to do good and um, embrace your imperfections, really, because it's through the cracks that the lights come in. That's what less, the lesson Virgos need to learn, yes. not to paper over the cracks all the time. You know, <laughs> yeah. but it, it's, I do like September. Uh, it's a very exciting time. It's sort of like New Year, isn't it? It feels like new beginnings. So then, so they're not going to the schools are not going to be shut down. Then that's all I'm caring about yeah. at the moment. Not in the immediate view, in the next few weeks, no. Mm. Um, but as I say, I've always worried about November, December, September the fourteenth. Again, Jupiter going retrograde. I feel mm. a bit uneasy, but I think we're going to have to more learn to live with it. Um, there, I don't think there's going to be a massive shutdown mm. as before, but we are living in a time which resembles World War Two mm. um, astrologically. So really, so there'll be there'll tough. be high, there'll be victories and there'll be losses, and we're just going to have yeah. to navigate them somehow. And try yeah, and, April yeah. 2022, I see much more positivity coming. I think we're still we've still got a way to go, sadly. Mm. But next few weeks, I think everybody getting back to school and, and maybe enjoying that fresh start and, yeah. and knew them and getting efficient, editing their lives a bit. And then <laughs> let's re-look at it again then after that. <laughs> yes. Good. OK, well, few. Well, that's that's a few days off anyway. Yes. <laughs> and if anyone listening. 
listening, got kids starting, look at their astrology sign and that can really help them, the positives and the challenges of that sign. You can really help them because when you're under 20, you're most fully your son, the expression of your son oh, sign than ever. Mm. Yes, you are, because as you go through life, you then tend to move towards the sun sign after that. So your Aries, I believe, Sarah, so yeah. you'd, be more, you know, you'd be more veering towards the Taurus and Ooh. then the Gemini. In yes. the phases of your life, and really, you know, I didn't know that. That's weird. No, you know, it's like slippage, astrological and, and slippage, hmm. like the rest of your I mean, body. <laughs> the Scorpio intensity followed by the Sagittarian activity, and um, you know, with, with you, Sarah, it would be the more stoic Taurus with the more curious Gemini. That mm. so you're moving towards through life. I mean, we tend to have like dominant influences, mm. but the first twenty years, it's the sun sign. So, parents, look at your sun sign of your child, mm. and look at the, the the challenging traits because every sun sign has a positive and a negative. Look at the challenging traits and see how you can help mm. nurture that mm. and play to their strength. Thanks. Thanks very much, Teresa. Oh, that's quite interesting, I thought, yeah, actually, very, actually, about all very. those sort of that sign yeah. slippage. Oh, thank I like you. That. Aim to provide illumination. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that was spiritualist and author of the Cyclopedia of Birthdays, Teresa Chung. If you enjoy listening to The Half Hour, why not visit mailplus.co.uk slash subscribe to get access to all our podcasts, videos, opinion pieces and more. If you want to get in touch, tweet us at mailplus or me at Westminster Wag. You've been listening to The Female Half Hour with me, Sarah Vine and Imogen Edwards-Jones. Thank you for listening. Listener.